middle of that. As you're getting Bibles, that's Matthew 24. And we'll be specifically looking at verses 36. 36 to 51. Matthew 24, 36 to 51. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, up till the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household, to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, most of you know the tragic story of Pompeii. Remember they made a crazy Hollywood movie about it, which, you know, who knows if that even was two-thirds or half true. But you know about Pompeii, and there was also another little town near Pompeii on the other side, of, on the bottom of Mount Vesuvius. And they both, if you remember, they were destroyed when the volcano erupted around A.D. 79. As a matter of fact, I was blessed when I went to Italy. My, my family lives between those two cities. So some of them have moved to other places because they don't feel like having lava come down on their houses. You know what I'm saying? But when that event happened, it happened suddenly. It happened quickly. 
It took the people by surprise. Well, Michael Bogart describes it this way. I want to quote him because he puts it well. He says, The explosion of Mount Vesuvius was so sudden, the residents were killed while in their routine. Men and women were all at the market, the rich in their luxurious baths, slaves at toil. They died amid volcanic ash and superheated gases. Even family pets suffered the same quick and final fate. It takes little imagination to picture the panic of that terrible day. Now here's what I thought was interesting that he said. The saddest part is that these people did not have to die. Scientists confirm what ancient Roman writers record. Weeks of rumblings and shakings preceded the actual explosion. Even an ominous plume of smoke was clearly visible from the mountain days before the eruption. If only they had been able to read and respond to Vesuvio's warning. In a similar way, this is what Jesus has been talking about in chapter 24 of Matthew. He's been saying you need to read the signs of the times. And you need to be ready so that when that day comes, you're not caught unawares. And we talked about in, the, in a past sermons all the signs he mentions. Hearts growing cold. Those who profess faith falling away from the faith. Great persecution. Many other things. But here we see, as we turn to this part of Matthew 24, that Jesus is telling us that we need to be ready for when that day comes upon us. And although we can't know the day and we can't know the hour, we must always be at our post, watching for his return, so that we're ready when he shows up. So what we're going to see in this text is just a couple things. Three, three points, actually. We're going to see this, that since no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return, do I need to repeat that? No one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return. There's three things we're going to see. Don't try to figure it out. Keep watching for him and don't be found in sin. Got that? Keep watching for him, don't be found in sin. Yeah, us preachers would like to do a little rhyming thing, but let's look at the first thing. Don't try to figure out when, because nobody knows. Don't try to figure out when, nobody knows. This is my shortest and my quickest point. You should be happy about that. Jesus starts off by saying this in verse 36. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So here's the point, in case you missed it. No one knows, so... Knock it off. You with me? Knock it off. Stop trying to figure out something that Jesus says you ain't going to figure out. I don't know. There's a lot of things in life. I wish somebody would have told me ahead of time, look, dude, don't waste your time because you're never going to figure it out. Well, this is one Jesus tells us, don't waste your energy on this. Nobody knows except my Father in heaven. Think about it. If the angels don't even know, and they had the privilege of announcing the birth of Christ, remember? They came and said, hey, you're going to, the son that's born to you, they have, the, they have the, the privilege of announcing many things in redemptive history. But Jesus says, when it comes to this, they don't even know. They have no clue when they're going to get that tap on the shoulder, so to speak. Okay, Michael. I think about it this way. 
You know there are some documents that we talk about that only the highest officials in government have access to. That, they're, that you know, we talk about it being classified, right? And some of the things are black out, blacked out, right? There's only like two words you can see. That's how classified it is. Well, so classified is this heavenly information that Jesus in his human nature didn't even know. That's some heavy stuff. That's deep. The only one, Jesus says, who knows the day and the hour of, of his return is the Father. So this is what we need to understand. Even the humblest of believers, of believers in Jesus could have told you that all those cranks that said they knew the day or they knew the year of Christ's return with absolute certainty were absolutely off the rocker. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a deep theologian. You could just be a humble believer to say, dude, you're wrong. And if you think this is just theoretical, when I was doing an internship at a PCA church, a PCA elder, this was in 1994, maybe some of you know where I'm going with this, told me Jesus is coming back in September of that year. And I said, first I tried to reason with him, and he goes, look, Jesus said you wouldn't know the day and the hour. He didn't say you wouldn't know the month or the year. And, of course, he was talking about Harold Camping, who wrote a book and made some good money on trying to say when Jesus... By the way, he did that like two or three other times. And finally, at the age of 90 or something, he says, I was wrong. Yeah. So I I told that elder, I just said, I'll tell you what. You know what? I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to give you a call in October. I had mercy, though. I didn't call him. I think he kind of figured it out by then. Think about it this way. You could be sure that if the father didn't give that tidbit of information to the son, that he most certainly wasn't going to give it to Pope Innocent III, who claimed that Jesus would come back in 1284. There's been a lot of these people, by the way. He certainly wasn't going to give it to Joseph Smith, who's the founder of Mormonism, who said Jesus would return in 1890, or Charles Taz Russell, one of the founders of Jehovah's Witnesses, who said it would be 1910. Or Howell Camping, who said it would be September 1994 or May 21st, 2011. Listen, this is the way we have to understand. It is complete arrogance to say you know something that Jesus doesn't. (laughs) Ever think about it that way? But now I got to say this before we jump into our next point. I told you this would be pretty short. Wait a minute, you should be asking yourself. How could the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, not know something? Right? Hopefully some of you were kind of stirring up some of those thoughts. Wouldn't this prove, some people would say, that Jesus isn't God, that he's not divine? No, it doesn't prove that at all. Because what we have to remember is Jesus is both 100% God and at the same time 100% human. Think about it this way. God can't die. Right? But Jesus died. How did Jesus die? Not in his divine nature, in his human nature. Jesus got sick. God doesn't get sick, he's a spirit. But we have to understand that Jesus is both God, the Son, but he's also the Son of God, the Son of Man. 
So he was limited in his knowledge as it pertained to his human nature. Think about other times in the gospel. A woman touches him and gets healed, and what does he ask? Who touched me? But other times he could say, I saw you under the fig tree when he was, somebody was towns away. That's because he's both God and man. Think about it this way, too. This might be able to help you. He became like us in every way except sin. And it says in Luke 2.52, for instance, that when Jesus was 12, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So in his human nature, he had to learn. He had to grow. He had to learn Hebrew. He studied the Torah or the Torah. Obviously, God can't grow in wisdom, but in his human nature. I think you've seen where I'm going with this. That's what's going on in this text. So he did not know the day or the hour of his return. Such was his humiliation in becoming one of us, God Almighty becoming one of us, that he shared our hunger, he shared our pain, and he shared our death for our sins. And he even shared our ignorance as to the day and the hour of his second coming. That's our Lord. He's so identified with us, his people became one with us. So the bottom line is nobody knows, so stop wasting your time and your energy trying to figure it out. And, let me say this, definitely stop rewarding those who claim to know. In other words, stop spending money on these cranks. Well, if we're not supposed to spend our energy on trying to figure out times and seasons of his return, then what should we be doing? And that's what Jesus gets into next. Second thing I want to point out, since nobody knows, stay on your toes. That's what Jesus is saying. Since nobody knows, stay on your toes. Look at verse 42. That's the punchline of this whole text. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. And Jesus, the perfect model preacher, gives us a couple illustrations to illustrate um, his point. He starts in verse 37, and he gives us that great historical true story of Noah. Look at verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up till the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will return. Listen, in Noah's day, everyone was living life as, as if business was usual. Like nothing was going to change. They had no idea what was awaiting them just around the corner. And what was awaiting them, according to this text? The flood of judgment. God was coming in judgment. They were warned and warned and warned. But they weren't prepared to meet their maker. They didn't get their lives in order through faith and repentance. Through turning to the judge in sorrow for sin. And trusting in him. Listen, it tells us in the New Testament that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In other words, he warned them again and again, his neighbors. 
Instead, they just continued to laugh. They kept living their daily lives as if there wasn't a God in heaven whom they had deeply offended. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's interesting. It says, Jesus says, the flood came and took them away. Well, I think what Jesus could be saying here, he gives us an example of one person, you know, grinding, and the other one's left, the other one's taken. It could be the one that's taken is taken away in judgment, right? Because that's what it's talking about in Noah's day. They were taken. Just saying. You know, maybe being left behind might be a good thing, according to this text. I don't want to be taken with the flood. I want to be with Jesus. Either way, you look at it, it's the one is judged and the other is saved. That's very clear. People may scoff and laugh, and they do that to us today. Look at you, fighting to stay true to a master who lived, died, and rose over 2,000 years ago because he promised to return someday. What a joke. What a waste of time. How many people, I said this before I was saved, grab all you can now in life. This is what it's all about right here, right now. This is exactly what happened already in history. That's why Jesus brings up Noah. I like the old Keith Green song. It always brings joy to my heart. He says, you just think about old Noah, toting his umbrella when there wasn't a cloud in the sky. All his neighbors would laugh at his pet giraffe, and they'd all snicker when he passed by. But the Lord said, hey, Noah, be cool. Just keep building that boat. It's just a matter of time before they see who's going to float. Just keep doing your best and pray that it's blessed and Jesus takes care of the rest. Amen? That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about what people think in our culture. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be laughed at. Listen, the road that leads to destruction is wide. You know what you have to do to get there? Nothing. Just float. Put your hands back like this and go with the culture. It's not going in the right direction. It wasn't going in the right direction in Noah's day, and it's not going, it wasn't going in the right direction when Jesus came to earth, and it's not going in the right direction today. If we trust in him and we live righteous lives by, the, by faith, we strive to fight sin and to live unto him, we're going to be looked at as odd. But Jesus is saying, in effect, keep building that boat. Just a matter of time for they see who's going to float. The world, what Jesus is saying here, will be caught completely unawares. They'll be off guard, and they will be facing their worst nightmare. Think about if you've lived your life in unbelief, you've rejected Jesus again and again. Think about how it's going to be for those folks when they look up and see the skies parting and see the person that's coming is Jesus the Christ. And by the way, and then we'll get to our third and last point. This is, on a side point, I think it's important to see this. This is a good reason why not to follow the crowd. You with me? The kingdom of God is not democratic. It's good to be the odd man out sometimes. Last thing I want to point out from this text, and this is especially important for those of us who claim faith in Christ. Don't be found in sin. Steady as she goes. Be ready for him. Now, you know the wicked will be caught unprepared, but true believers, what Jesus is saying, 
we need not be caught unprepared or by complete surprise when Jesus comes. And he's going to give us another illustration for that. Listen, verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Listen, this idea is actually simple. Constantly be on the lookout for your Lord's return. And here's, be ready at all times. If you're ready at all times, it doesn't matter when he comes, does it? That's what Jesus is saying. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my Aunt Judy, who is a, a clean freak, a neat freak. You go to her house, she'd have like white carpets. She, I, I mean, this place was like, I, I was always afraid to like eat anything or sit because I'm like, Mom, Mommy, this is like a museum. Well, every now and then, of course, she would visit us. She lived in North Jersey. We live in the Jersey Shore. And she would call ahead, of course. So, and that would throw my mom in a tizzy. Aunt Judy's coming. The whole house, we'd be running, like, vacuuming, dusting things we hadn't dusted in, like, decades. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, anyway, I won't go too much deeper in case they hear this message. You know? But anyway, um, so we would be freaking out to get this house clean. But listen. What would have happened if she would have just popped in for a visit one day? My mom would have been mortified, man. I think we would have had to run her to the hospital. Since we knew she was coming, we made sure we were ready. But this is what Jesus is saying. His coming won't be like that. There will be no announcement. There will be no warning. There will be no, hey, um, Santo, I'm going to be coming at this time and this hour, so make sure you're doing the right thing and looking good when I get here. I'm not going to get that call. Neither are you. He says he's going to be like a thief in the night. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness and in justice. And think about it, Jesus is saying. The thief doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, listen, I'm coming at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to come through that window. And I'm going to take both your guitars. I'm going to take your, you know. He doesn't do that, (laughs) does he? He's trying to take you when, when you ain't ready. Because if that thief did that, I'd be ready, right? I'd be waiting at that window. No, I don't have a gun. I'm only kidding. But I would be ready. I'd be ready maybe saying, help, somebody come. But I would be ready for him. So his attempts would be futile. The only way to be prepared is to be constantly ready at any moment for his promised return. I like this illustration. This Scottish preacher, uh, Robert Murray McChain, he once said this to his friends. I like this. Yeah, I love when uh, preachers trick you, you know? You know when they ask a question, you're, you're like, okay, there's going to be some trick to this. But this is what he, he said. Do you think Christ will come tonight, he asked his buddies. One after another, they said, I think not. And after everybody had given their answer, he solemnly repeated this text. The Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. And I thought, wow, that, that was clever. But it was also powerful. So Jesus warns us about the suddenness of his return. He uses the illustration of the days of Noah so that we'll be prepared for judgment, the judgment that that day will bring. Then he moves on to the idea of readiness that we just talked about, living a life in such a way that you're always prepared for his coming. And the third illustration, the last thing he talks about here, is he uses the the illustration of the servant of a household. And the idea here, which he's going to pick up later on in uh, chapter 25, is the idea of faithfulness keeping the charge that he's given us. 
being about our Father's business, discharging our duties as followers of Christ till the very end. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? I will, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. I tell you, this is a good story. There was a tourist uh, who was in Italy. I didn't make this up. This is, you know, I talk about Italy a lot, but that was just the illustration. So he was on this lovely estate in Italy, and he saw the caretaker there, and he said, how long have you been here? The caretaker said, 25 years. And how often has the owner been to see the estate? He said, four times. When did he come last? The caretaker said, 12 years ago. Well, who comes then to look after things? He says, I'm pretty much left here alone. Yet you keep the garden so spick and span that one would think that you were expecting the owner tomorrow. And he answered, today, sir, today. That's how Jesus says we need to be ready. Expected him today. That's how our lives should be in such order that like they asked Martin Luther, Martin, if you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow at such such time, what would you do? He opened up his little book, daily book, so to speak, and he said, and he just read off his calendar what he was going to do. The point is his life was in order. We shouldn't be like, ah! <laughs> you know, like uh, the Rush Hour movie. You ever see that movie? When he goes, okay, everybody be calm. There's a bomb in the building. And everybody's just sitting there. He goes, didn't you hear what I just said? There's a bomb in the building. Everybody's like, but yeah, no. Sorry, I saw you were falling asleep. I knew you needed a little something to wake you up. But then Jesus, the last thing Jesus addresses here is that person that responds to his delay in a wicked and unbelieving manner. Which, by the way, we see here Jesus is hinting back then that his coming may be delayed. So there's a tension there, right? He could come at any moment, but Jesus also says, say the master has been long in coming. You follow me? So that's our temptation today. Well, you know, it's been a long time. So look at verse 48. This is how some people may be thinking. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour he's not aware of. He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, this is the response of unbelief. The important thing to see here is that Jesus is giving us a picture, not of a true believer who has fallen or is backslidden, but rather of someone who claimed to be one of his servants, but actually is shown to be a hypocrite, a play actor. Because notice where Jesus says they're going to be assigned a place. With who? With the hypocrites. In other words, with the play actors, with the phonies, with the posers. You get it? The servant wanted to look like he was a faithful servant. But the delay showed what? It showed what was already in his heart. He didn't trust his master. He didn't know his master. He didn't care about his master's business. Because when he found out the master was going to be long, he went and he partied down with junkards. 
he began to beat his fellow servants. Sometimes we see that in the church, don't we? People hurting fellow brothers and sisters claim to be following Jesus. Michael Wilkins puts it this way, the good servant reveals his nature by his good actions. The wicked servant reveals his depravity when left to his own devices. The master's departure and delay give rise to a test, while his return demands an accounting that reveals the servants for what they were even before the master's departure and delay. Well, as I bring this message to a close, I want to draw your attention to verse 35. Jesus says something. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Let me tell you why that's powerful. Earlier in Matthew, he said not a word from the law will be removed. Right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word. Now he's saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. What's he saying? Who's he claiming to be? The other thing I want you to see is important here. Jesus is assuring us that his return is certain. He's saying, make absolutely no mistake about it. The thing that you think you can count on always, what are the two things? Even in Ecclesiastes, it talks about life under the sun. It says, two things that remain forever. What? The earth and sky. And Jesus says, someday, they're going to be gone. But he says, guess what? My word is still going to be there. You could take this to the bank. You could bet your bottom dollar, as that goofy song says. Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. So here's the question. Have you arranged your life in such a way that you are ready for that cataclysmic event? Because for some of us, it is going to be incredible, unbelievable joy that we've never felt before in this side of glory. For others, and I have to preach both because Jesus talks about both. They're going to beg for the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. So gracious, so good, so loving is our Savior that even now you're hearing these words. You have this opportunity to be under the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's telling you ahead of time, be ready. It's it's a done deal that's happening. It's the last thing to happen in God's redemptive plan for history. And he's saying, be ye ready, ready or not, as it were, here I come. Remember when you were a kid and you were like, you had to count up to 100 and you played the hide and seek? And then after you muddled, you know, you got maybe up to 20 and you said 100. But then you would say what? Ready or not, here I come. Well, God is so gracious, he's telling us right now, be ready, for you know not the hour on which I come. I believe he's coming to judge the living and the dead and that his kingdom will not end. Do you? Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this warning and for this promise. 
We've waited, and we're waiting so long for this, Lord. We can't wait until you come to deliver us from this injustice. Deliver us from our own sins completely, where we won't have to fight our sinful nature. Deliver us from imperfection of your bride, and how we, instead of support and lift one another up, we often hurt one another. And Father, we long for all of your elect who don't know you yet to be called home and brought into your kingdom until then lord we want to be about your business so fill us with your holy spirit encourage us with your word help us to encourage each other unto love and to good deeds and to giving ourselves for you and giving our lives for others that they might know you and that they might walk with you that they might serve you oh lord jesus you called us by your grace. We pray that you will keep us by your grace until that day that we will be ready for the coming of the Son of Man. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.